Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, once again, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us. Have you enjoyed the service so far? You glad you came? All right, let's hope that that continues. All right, what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to hit the rewind button all the way back to the year 1916. So a little over 100 years ago, 106 years to be exact. And at that time, Standard Oil Company, now ExxonMobil, was at the height of its success, the largest and predominant petroleum company in the world. And can anyone tell me who the co-chairman and founder of Standard Oil was? John D. Rockefeller. I think I heard somebody say it. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. And back in 1916, Johnny D became the first American billionaire. So billionaire with a B. In fact, even today, Rockefeller enjoys the distinction of being the wealthiest American of all time and the richest person in modern history. Uh, are you picking up on this? He had an outrageous amount of money what we would call filthy rich. And in his heyday, he was worth about $25 billion, which converted to today, with all of the inflation and everything, translates to about $850 billion. That's a lot of money. Now, during one of his many public interviews, a news reporter approached Rockefeller, and he says, you know, it's obvious to everyone that you have made a lot of money. You're very wealthy and fortunate. I have one question for you. How much is enough? How much money is enough? Rockefeller thought for a moment, and then he famously said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Now, in Charlie Brown's cartoon world, It was his dog, Snoopy, who declared, I think I'd be happy with just one more cookie. If I had just one more cookie, like a crumble cookie, I know that I would be happy. How many of you know one cookie away or just a little bit more is a pattern and paradigm that our culture has wholly uh, swallowed. It's a concept that we have fallen into, and now I mean hook, line, and sinker. And left unchecked, just one more cookie, or a little bit more, it will feed the monster of greed until greed becomes a giant of uncontrollable proportion. So make no mistake, just like every other giant, the giant of greed needs to be addressed. How many of you believe me? We have to be willing to talk about 
this particular giant, the giant of greed, which is precisely what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. Jesus said, watch out. What did he say? Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. How many? In other words, there must be more than one kind of greed. Jesus said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. He went on to say, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The New Living Translation puts it this way, from God's vantage point, life is not measured by how much you own. We said that again. Your life is not measured by how much you own. These are the words of Jesus. Now, why would he say that? Why would Jesus remind us that our lives do not consist in the amount of stuff that we have? Because these days, that's pretty much how we establish self-worth. We take a look at what everyone else has, and then we take a look at what we have, and we place ourselves somewhere on the value continuum. It's what we do. We find our value, we find our self-esteem and our self-worth in the things that we have compared to other people. Now, years and years ago, when I was 19 years old, I bought a brand new 1974 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. Not just a Cutlass. It was a Cutlass Supreme, a limited edition. It was white and maroon, with the land all top. Do you remember that kind of top? Kind of a half convertible, half final. It was a beautiful car, and I ordered it with all of the bells and whistles. And I absolutely loved that Cutlass Supreme. But the fact of the matter is, I had no business buying it because I just couldn't afford it. And a few weeks or a few months after I purchased it, I had a very difficult time making the $100 a month payments and eventually had to get rid of it. And the truth is, and, I, and I'm being totally transparent and honest with you, the only reason I bought that car was to prove to myself and everyone else I had value. When I was driving that car, I was basically holding up a sign saying to everybody, look at me. And look at what I've accomplished. You see, during high school, a lot of my good buddies, they drove uh, really cool sports cars. One had a Mustang, another one had a Pontiac GTO. And those particular cars in those days, probably different today, they were cheerleader magnets. <laughs> I drove a 1963 Chevy Bel Air. I think my dad paid $200 for it. It was an ugly blue. It was rusted out, as big as a boat, and probably the most unattractive car you've ever seen in your life. I was thoroughly embarrassed by it. And I had to drive home by myself every day because I couldn't pay anybody to ride home with me. <laughs> that car made me feel insignificant and small. And so a couple of months after I graduated from high school, I just had to have it. You see, when we talk about greed, when we address what has become a monster in our society, I want you to understand that greed is so much more than just being selfish. 
or uncaring. It goes well beyond selfishness. Biblical greed, when you search it out, it means being caught up in the mindset that I will never have enough and I will never measure up. I'm going to say that again. Greed is being caught up in the trap, in the mindset, I will never have enough and I will never measure up. And with that attitude that was permeating the society at that time, in Jesus' day, Jesus comes along with wisdom for the ages. And here's what he says. He says, your life, your self-worth, and your self-esteem is not contained, it's not measured, it's not found in treasure or trophies or talents. Your value comes from God. I'm going to say a lot of things this morning. I got more time to fill. So I've got to talk. <laughs> Nothing this morning is going to be more important than those last five words that I just said to you. Amen. Your value comes from God. Can I get you to say that? My value comes from God. One more time. My value comes from God. One more time. My value comes from God. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to you about that this morning. And I'm hoping, I'm praying that that little truth is going to fall, it's going to deposit into your heart. Your value is not found in what you have. Your value comes from God. So in the time remaining this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you three ways to deal with and to destroy the giant of greed in your life. Three ways to, like David, hit greed right between the eyes and in the process bring greed to his knees, to its knees. Are you ready? Three ways. First one, gratefulness. Second way, giftedness. And number three, generosity. Gratefulness, giftedness, and generosity. Let's start with the first one. We'll look at these briefly, one at a time. Gratefulness. To be grateful means to show appreciation, not just to have appreciation, not just to acknowledge it, but to show appreciation for any goodness or kindness that comes your way and to be thankful for everything that you have. I'm going to repeat that again. To be grateful means to show your appreciation for the goodness and the kindness that you have and to be thankful for everything that you have. And that attitude alone, before we get to the other two, that will cripple and weaken greed. In fact, that's like greed kryptonite. It will totally wipe greed out if you can understand the importance of what it means to be grateful. Not somebody owes you something, not entitlement, not I don't have what that person has, but being grateful for everything that you have. It takes a swipe at greed. And the verses or the passage of scripture that comes to mind immediately when I, we talk about that is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Paul wrote, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. And why would you do that? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
In fact, it's his perfect will. So many people want to know the will of God. I, I, I hear all the time, if I only knew God's will, well, this is a really good place to start. Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks in all circumstances. Now, let me ask you this, and please, don't respond publicly, and don't say anything, okay? Just think about this. And be honest, because you're in church. Be honest with yourself. Do you spend more time thanking God for what you have, identifying what you have, and counting your blessings, or do you spend more time complaining about the things you don't have? Again, be honest. Now, deep down inside, I know that you're grateful and you're appreciative for everything that you have. I know that if you were to get down to the nitty-gritty, you would be very expressive in the appreciation that you have. But you know what happens oftentimes is discontentment and dissatisfaction has a way, it has a tendency to work its way to the forefront of our thinking and our actions. Somehow that dissatisfaction just wants to get to the front burner. Now way back in the book of Genesis, in the very early chapters of Genesis, the Bible tells us that God created a beautiful and breathtaking paradise for his creation. He made Adam and Eve, and then he put them in the Garden of Eden, and God filled the Garden of Eden. When you read through those verses, that, that chapter, you'll, you'll see that God filled the Garden of Eden with every single provision and every comfort that Adam and Eve would ever need. I, he thought of everything. It is jam-packed with the most beautiful items and possessions and provision that anyone would ever need. He did, however, post a keep out or keep away from one tree. It was like he wrapped yellow police tape around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God gave instructions to Adam and Eve. He said, you can go anywhere in the garden, do anything you want, have at it, but I want you to stay away from this one tree. Don't eat the fruit from it. Don't mess with it. Don't even go near it. And what did Adam and Eve do? Every day, in fact, multiple times during the day, they walked up to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one tree that God told them to stay away from, and they just stood there <laughs> staring at the tree. feeling so deprived. Like, why in the world would God keep this from us? Why wouldn't God let us have this tree? And just a few feet away, do you know what was there? The tree of life. Bountiful life. A blessed life. Eternal life. With nothing bad. God told them to eat the fruit from that tree. No sickness, no sin, no suffering, no death, no darkness. But that wasn't good enough for Adam and Eve. Instead of being thankful for all that God had given to them, including life, they needed just one more cookie to be happy. One more bowl of fruit. And they let the serpent convinced them that God was holding out on them. 
And right there in the garden, the spirit of greed took over. It came into the world. Now, two weeks ago, when I first introduced the Giants series to you, we talked about envy. Remember that? And back uh, during that message, I encouraged you not to get entangled, not to get all caught up in the comparison game. I said, when we do that, when we start to compare ourselves to other people, that's when we have a tendency to open our hearts to the spirit of envy, and then we're compelled to do things we wouldn't normally do. Well, I'm sorry in advance, but for just a moment, I'm going to violate my own personal no-comparison conviction clause, and I'm going to tell you, if you have clothes on your back, and thankfully you all do, uh, I'm not sure about those of you who are watching at home. I, you know, hopefully you're dressed. If you have a roof over your head, if you have food on your table, and a few dollars in the bank, not a lot, $50. If you have all of what I just mentioned, you are in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. 10%. Check it out. 90% of the people on the planet don't have what we have. They do not enjoy the daily blessings and the luxuries that we have in this country. Those same blessings that we sometimes, in fact, oftentimes take for granted. Years ago when I was in Haiti, it's probably 10 to 12 years now, I was shocked by the poverty. In fact, I was embarrassed by it, that I didn't even know that people could be that poor. Haiti is uh, arguably the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, and yet in Haiti, I experienced some of the most joyful and grateful people I've ever encountered in my life. In the Bocazelle Valley, where our pharmacy is at, our hospital pharmacy, people live on $2 a day or less. And yet you could never tell. On one occasion when I was there, I saw a bunch of kids, uh, young teenagers, playing soccer uh, on a dirt field. It wasn't even any grass on the field, just dirt. And none of them had any shoes because they didn't own a pair of shoes. And then when I noticed a little bit more closely, the soccer ball that they were playing with wasn't even a soccer ball. It was cardboard all taped up and wrapped together to look like a ball. And they were playing out there for hours on the dirt field with no shoes in the 100-degree heat and loving every minute of it. And we went over there, the people that I was with and myself, and we gave them a couple of bottles of water to drink. That's it, a little bit of water. And for the next three days, they follow us around bowing in front of me every chance they got just to say thank you. Appreciate you showing us a little bit of love and giving us that water. Gratefulness. It's extremely important. It helps us deal with the spirit of greed. Secondly, there's giftedness. And the whole idea here based on what Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, the verse of pa the passage that we referenced just a few moments ago, is that our personal value and our self-esteem 
it doesn't come from the stuff that we have. It's not based on what we have or what we're able to accumulate in this life. In fact, Jesus taught us our value is a gift from God. Remember those five words I asked you to think about? Your value comes from God. And God's giftedness is intentional. The value that God gives to us, if our value comes from God, that value is purposeful. It's intentional. He does it on purpose. Now, this is going to be a little bit difficult for you to see. You might have to trust me on this. But I'm holding two different dollar bills in my hand. This one is worth, this is $100. This is $1. Okay, $100, $1. Now, they're both the same size, exactly. They both weigh the same, if you're to weigh them. They're both made from the same paper, and it cost the same for the paper. And yet this one here is valued at $100, this one at $1. This is 100 times more valuable than this one, right? Am I telling you the truth? Why is that? Why is this one 100 and this is only one, and they're virtually the same? No, not because of the zeros. If that were the case, your monopoly money would be worth something. Your million dollar monopoly money, you could go spend that. It's not because of the zeros. It's because on the $100 bill, there's a seal. Actually, the same seal on the single dollar bill. With some wording. Namely, the United States of America, the Department of the Treasury. It's the U.S. Treasury Department that adds authority to these bills so that when banks and merchants and businesses see that stamp, they recognize the value. It's not because this one says 100 on it or because this one says 1. It's a, the, the authority and the stamp, the seal, is what makes these dollars worth what they are. You get that? In Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, no, I'm not giving this up, I'm keeping it. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, it was Simon Peter who received a divine and shocking revelation. At the time when he received this, rec this revelation, pretty much nobody believed it. In Acts 10, 34, Peter said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Do you know that when he wrote this, when he received this revelation, the Jewish people thought they were special? That they were better than everyone else? Peter says, hold on to that thought for just a minute. See, not only does God give every single person on the planet the opportunity to receive his gift of salvation, John 3.16 tells that, us that, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall have life. Not only does God offer the plan of salvation to every single person and wants everyone to get saved, but God also places the exact same value on each and every member of his creation. No one's walking around here with more zeros on their back. 
God values everyone the same. And it doesn't matter what size house you live in or if you even live in a house. God doesn't care if you have a 1,000 square foot home, 10,000 square foot home, what car you drive, how fast you can run, or how much money you make. Unlike the NFL and corporate America, with God, talents and trophies don't increase your value. Amen. And I hope that you're getting this, that you're not just taking this in stride. Talents and treasure do not increase your value. You have individual worth and plenty of it because God's seal and his stamp of approval is on your life. Because God values you. Your value comes from God. And don't let anyone else tell you anything different. It doesn't matter what people say or what people think about you. You have tremendous value in God. So, to help us defeat the spirit of greed, there's gratefulness, there's giftedness, and finally, there's generosity. Generosity is an extremely important attribute of the Christian faith. Because oftentimes, generosity releases the fullness of God's blessing. Generosity does that. In this regard, greed is the number one enemy of God's provision. And I'm just trusting that you're picking this stuff up because I hesitate to repeat everything. Greed is the number one enemy of God's provision. Greed is on the flip side of the generosity coin. And while you think greed might be benefiting you and helping you in all actuality, it's keeping you from God's best. Greed is preventing you from receiving the best that God has to offer. Now, with the exception of salvation, a totally free gift from God, you'll hear me say that to you over and over again, salvation is a free gift. But other than salvation, most everything else that we can receive from God comes with biblical um, stipulation and condition. How many of you know that? If in the Bible is a very big word... God says, if you will do this, then I will do that. And if you do that, I will do this. And it's Jesus who gives us the conditional template for receiving the very best blessing that God has to offer. Jesus gives us that. He specifies what we can do to receive the best that God has. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, give. Say what? Give. Give. And it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I mean, that's a pretty solid blessing. That's a pretty good one. That's how I like to be blessed. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And the secret to capturing all of that blessing is given in the very first word of the verse. Give. Jesus said, give. That's the order. Give, and it shall be given to you. Give, and God will show his generosity to you. Give, and God will pour open the windows of heaven upon your life. Because generosity is what releases the full blessing of God. And here's the best part. The scripture tells us that God is the one who gives us the grace to be generous. You don't even have to find that attribute in and of yourself. It comes from God. 
in the same way that faith comes from God. That's a gift. Love comes from God. That's a gift. Everything that we have comes from God. He's the giver of every good gift. So also is this idea of generosity. We don't have to try to manufacture it by ourselves. Generosity is the divine nature of God. He gives it to us. It says so in the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Verse 10 and 11 goes on to say, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, who would that be? That's God. He's our provider. He will also supply and increase. I love those two words. Our God, in addition to everything else he does, he will also supply and increase your store of seed so that you will enlarge and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Where's that coming from? Coming from God. God is providing for us. God is enriching us. He's blessing us. He's helping us. The scripture says you can be generous on every occasion. When you read something like that, do you believe it? Thank you. Somebody does. I hear from good-hearted people all the time. And when I say good-hearted people, I mean that. I just throw that in there. I'm talking about sincere, genuine people, people who have a desire to honor God with their lives. I hear from them all the time. Pastor, I wish I could give more. I wish I could be more generous. I wish I could bless more than I do, but I can't. On the authority of God's word, I want to say to you, oh, yes, you can. Because not only can you do all things through Christ who gives you strength, you have the ability to trust God to supply and increase everything that you have. Because he's the one who makes this available to us. And again, Jesus said the secret to all of this, the secret uh, to releasing the generosity is to give at God's prompting and to be thoughtful of others at God's prompting, even when you desire to get that one more cookie for yourself. Even when you're thinking, Lord, I just need a little bit more. God says, no, if you will follow my prompting, I'm going to divinely and supernaturally supply and increase everything that you need so that you can always have the attitude of generosity. And this is in the scripture. I know Pastor Chris, he made a comment last week because it got quiet in here. I, I understand, you know, a conviction. Trust me, if, if anybody does, I do. I got to stand up here. I get convicted. But this is the word of God. This is the principle that God wants us to learn in his word. That he gives us more than we could imagine if we just follow what he teaches us. And he says to us, more often than just once or twice, I will be gracious to you and I will give you more blessing than you could possibly imagine if you would choose generosity over greed. Now, over the years, the past 40 years, 
of full-time ministry, pretty close, 38 and a half, 39 years, I have learned that there are different levels of generosity. And we all fit into one of these levels. And I'm not going to name them all, but I'm going to name a couple of them. First, there's the novice giver, the one who gives randomly. And with this particular giver, you see glimpses of generosity. They, they come in and out. They, you, know, you see and then they're gone. Uh, with this group of people, they're moved with compassion when they come into contact with a heartbreaking situation. And what happens is when they see that situation, it compels them to give. It compels them to show compassion and to, and to do something, to, to be generous in that, on that occasion. And when you do that often enough, what happens is the joy and the satisfaction that comes knowing that you helped change a life, that you were used by God to meet somebody's need, that does something on the inside and it should propel you to the next level. The next level is what I'm going to call intentional giving, where you are intentional about the way that you give to others. You make it a part of your life. Like allowances made for every other expense that you have, you're proactive when it comes to generosity. You work that into your budget. It's on your mind all the time. It's not accidental. It just doesn't happen by chance. You purposely work generosity into your lifestyle. That includes the 10% tithe. Tithers don't decide whether or not they're going to tithe from week to week. It, it's just something that they put in their budget. Tithers don't say, you know, I hope I have enough for my tithe this, year, this week. They just make sure that they have that amount. So there's the random or the novice giver. There's the intentional. And then the next step above that is what I like to call the outrageous giver. These are the ones, these are the people that have a divine and spiritual gift of giving. And you see them all the time. That's the reason why they're on the planet. It's the only reason why they take breath, is to give away something. They're always giving things away. Financially supporting the church or giving to others. Because they've learned a very important principle. You can't outgive God. And the more they give, the more they're willing to reach out to the needs of others, the more God opens the windows of heaven and pours out on their life. And so the whole idea here is to try, wherever you're at, to somehow get to the next level of generosity. Now, four weeks from today, on November the 13th, once again, we're going to host Give Back Sunday. This is something that we've done over the past couple of years with great success. On Give Back Sunday, what we're hoping to do is raise all the money that we need to finance our mission and outreach budget for the year. Over the past 10 or 12 years, that's been $100,000. It's the same amount for this year. We're going after $100,000, even though last year we raised $150,000. If God has been good to you financially and you want to show your appreciation for his provision, then I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider helping us with an end-of-the-year donation for the Give Back Sunday offering. And I'm going to ask you to take this matter before the Lord and just pray about it. Ask him to lead you in the amount of money that he would want you to give. If it's okay with God, it's okay with me. Again, we're going to receive this offering on November the 13th during the service, so I'm going to ask you to bring it with you on the 13th. 
If you already know that you're not going to be in town on the 13th, you're not going to be able to make it, then I'm just going to ask you to go online. Uh, you can do that by going to our website and click on the giving link. Or you can mail your check in. We'll receive Give Back Sunday donations from now until the end of the year, from now until December the 31st. And if you've already given to missions, you've already done that, then I want to thank you in advance for your faithful support. Most of you know that for the holiday season, from Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, to Christmas Eve, it's the most profitable for the world of retail. You know that, don't you? Last year, between the 31 days that I just mentioned, day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday to Christmas Eve, 174 million Americans spent $789 billion getting ready for Christmas. Can you comprehend that number here in America? $789 billion in 31 days. That averages out to about $4,500 per shopper. And you might say, well, I didn't spend that much money at Christmas. Maybe you spent more. But the fact is, we all spend money at Christmas time, and I applaud you for that. I commend you for your willingness to celebrate with gift giving the most wonderful time of the year. But what if this year, before we got started with our, our shopping lists, before we made all of our holiday travel plans, we sincerely prayed about taking our own personal generosity up to the next level. What if this year, before we started our Christmas shopping, we prayed about a generous Give Back Sunday gift? so that our, our church, Community Christian Church, could pour love and financial support into homeless shelters and soup kitchens and homes for unwed mothers and the vets and disabled adults and many other organizations that are desperately trying to reach out to the less fortunate. Friend, I promise you this. That attitude and mindset alone would sever, it would sever the head of greed in our lives. It would wipe it out. Let's pray. Father, we're here this morning acknowledging with no hesitation that we are a blessed people. Lord, you've poured out on us in ways that we can't even begin to describe and somehow we've got caught up in what this world has to offer when the fact of the matter is our value doesn't come from what we have. It comes from you. Jesus, you made it clear to us that our life does not consist in the abundance of things that we have. And we thank you for what we have. But our self-esteem and our self-worth comes because you've placed your stamp of approval and your authority upon our lives and you love us with an everlasting love. And Father, you love every single person on the planet with the exact same love and you value them the same way you value us. Lord, I pray. I just pray that here at Community Christian Church we could defeat this giant.
that we would not be a greedy people that would think, I'll never have enough, I'll never measure up. But that, Lord, we would understand who we are in you and be confident of our relationship. I pray your blessing, Lord, in these closing moments. Amen.